0: I want to talk to you about a man named Samson that gave into pleasure and forfeited purpose. Amen. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the wrong pleasures. Amen. Look what verses 1 through 14 declares. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, and there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born a child, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband and a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. If only parents would pray like that when having children. He said, so that we would know what to do with the child when he is born. And it goes on saying, and God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So, The woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me again. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is it to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I have said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean. And all that I commanded her, let her observe. I can say this now that Jesus Christ has paid on the cross for us, and the law has been fulfilled, I believe that the spirit of the Nazarite is still upon us. Amen? The spirit of the Nazarite is still upon our lives. That anointing has been fulfilled so that we ought to fulfill it all set apart for God. Not just some chosen set apart. We are all now chosen and set apart in that same anointing of that Nazarite anointing. Amen. But, you know, the story of Samson is a good example of how easy it is. To choose pleasure over purpose. We see the purpose of God over Samson's life. And that was to fulfill purpose in saving Israel. For they had been given over because of their sin to the Philistines. The Bible says that God turned them over to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And then again we see the grace of God in the format of Jesus Christ the Son. Set apart. A boy before being born to be somewhat of a savior or an allevement for the people of Israel. And so the story of Samson is a good example of how easy it is to choose pleasure over purpose. Enjoyment over potential. You know, Samson was called to be a Nazarite. Being a miracle child because his mother couldn't uh, have children. She was barren. Um, she prayed. And the Lord seen her willingness. And He what? He granted her a child with the term that she would take on the characteristics of a Nazarite through her pregnancy and as well raise him up in the same motive of commitment as a Nazarite. Look at how beautiful that is. She not only said, God, I am willing to not only raise him up as a Nazarite as you have asked, but I am also willing to abide by the term of the Nazarite life as I hold the baby in my stomach. She was willing to live the Nazarite life as she held uh, Samson in her tummy, in her womb. She was set apart and consecrated for Samson. And, you know, she would raise him up in the same motive of commitment as a Nazarite, as God would use him to liberate his people. You know what, a Nazarite in basic terms was an Israelite consecrated to the service of God. You know, it was a, a person that under the vows would abstain from alcohol to allow the hair to grow without cutting it ever and avoid defilement by contact of a dead corpse. You know, long story short, Samson broke every one of these covenants and some other ones, sadly. And Samson had a purpose from God and he was constantly running away from it pursuing pleasure over his purpose. And he sought a wife among the Philistines. Judges 14, 1 through 3 declares that. If you read from uh, Judges 13 all the way to Judges 16, the whole life of Samson is pulled out and put into spectrum. But in chapter 14, Samson began to fall in love with various women, but he fell in love ultimately with the Philistine woman. He wanted a a, a woman outside of the family of God. He sought for a wife outside of the bloodline. And, you know, it was, the Bible says that they warned him, his parents warned him, is there not a woman amongst our own that you can choose from? And he said, no, I've set my eyes on her, that's the one that I want. A woman among the Philistine judges, and they warned him. His parents gave him another alternative to seek amongst his people for a wife. Yet hard-headed, he went to marry outside of the family and people of God. You know, coming in contact with a dead corpse, he also did. You know, a lion came and attacked him, and he had to put that lion to death. But after he put the lion to death... Man, the devil is cunning. He put honey inside of the corpse of the lion. And there, because of the desire, Samson filled his belly with the honey of the corpse. So he basically came in terms, he came in contact with the corpse, a dead corpse. He seen honey in the dead corpse and he filled his tummy with it. The vow of not drinking any wine or strong drink of alcohol, he also failed in. At the wedding feast of his marriage uh, with uh, 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 Timna, at the wedding feast, because he was married to a Philistine in their culture, they had a week-long feast, and the week-long feast was a week-long drinking party. That's what it was. And we all know part of the story that he counted the riddle and because of the riddle, you know, it was uh, taken to him to drink, strong drink. There he had cut the vow of not taking in drink, strong drink or alcohol. But we also see the vow being torn from him of cutting his hair. We learn that we ought to be careful not to tell people our secrets and who we are telling people the glory of our life. Come on, somebody. I didn't say secrets of our life. I said the glory of our life. You know, I'm telling you something. Many times we tell the wrong people the glory of our life, what has been sustaining us. And the enemy is very cunning. When the moment you tell the enemy, you know, you begin to speak that, you know, what has been sustaining you is prayer at 6 a.m. in the morning. All of a sudden, you know, the enemy starts sending you people at 6 a.m. Or tiring you out the night before so that you don't have time in the morning. There's always a Delilah that makes his way into our commitment. When we speak our commitments to the wrong people, we speak our glory to the wrong crowd. And so he told Delilah that the strength that he had, which was supernatural strength, he killed over a thousand men with his hands all with the jawbone of a donkey in his hand. A thousand men, a thousand Philistines. He slayed them one right after the other, not in days, in hours. A thousand Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey. God had given them supernatural power, but he spoke to Delilah and he said to Delilah, the reason I have this power is because I have not put the razor to my head. So as he slept, he slept even with Delilah being a prostitute. He slept with this prostitute and as he slept tired, Delilah shaved his head bald and then called the Philistines to capture him. You know, when he awoke, the Bible says that Samson awoke from being shaved on his head and the noise because she out. she said, the Philistines are here, Samson. Capture you. And he awoke to try to fight back. And the Bible says there he finally realized that the power of God had left him. The anointing of God had left him. He felt the power of God had left him. And the story of Samson teaches us that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives, church. There's a divine assignment and an upward call from God to accomplish in our lives. We are meant to live displaying a God power packing life. We are meant to be displaying a deliverance giving life. We are meant to be people restoring life, kingdom building people. And the devil is smart to counter respond to God's plan and purpose over our lives, but as well to affect our deep and genuine need and desire to fulfill God's calling with pleasure. You know, deep down inside, every person has an urge to please God. Did you know that? Every person, did you know that? Every person that is born has an urge. To please God. Every person has an urge to please God. But sadly, not everybody chooses to live pleasing God. Many are like Samson running from their purpose. The enemy's plans against God's plans. Purposes and destiny for our lives is what the enemy does. Entices us with the wrong pleasures. That revolve around what? fleshly satisfactions, and earthly pursuits. But the Bible declares that not all pleasure is bad. Did you know that? He actually desires to make known to us the pleasures of life. Did you know that? Psalms chapter 16 verse 11 declares, he says, David said, you make known to me the paths of life. Right? And he said, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Look at this. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the Bible teaches us, and God teaches us that there is nothing wrong with pleasures. But my question is, are the pleasures in your life wrong? What God wants to teach us is that good pleasure, wholesome pleasure, the right pleasure of life that brings fullness of joy can only come out of God's presence. And a life that's abiding in God's presence. How many know that to be true? You know, we many times give up purpose for pleasure. Potential for enjoyment. And this is what Samson was. He was wasted potential. He was a sad story of how a man could be so anointed and yet live uncoordinated in his life. Not living to maximize his full potential. And you know, I'm telling you something. If we are running after earthly pleasures and fleshly pleasures, we are not living in our maximum potential. We are limited to what God can do and through in our lives. And although we know that in the end, check this out, church, we know that in the end, God's grace won in Samson's life. And Paul recognizes him for the one that says, was um, Samson saved? Samson was saved by his death. Because the power of God had left him, and the Spirit of the Lord steered him up one last time while being in the temple with all of the Philistines. As they mocked him, they had him tied up in chains, uh, practically naked in the middle of everywhere. As they had their meeting and they were in celebration, they had him like a trophy of how they had overcome the people of God. And their God steered up Samson one more time, and the destruction of the temple of the Philistines came down on all of them. So we know that Paul recognizes Samson as a hero in the faith in in, uh, the book of, um, of Hebrews, chapter 13 or 11. But without noting, Paul doesn't even note Samson's failures. He just calls him a hero in the faith. But if Samson had not made these mistakes, did you know that Samson's impact would have been greater? And not cut short to death with his enemies in the destruction of the temple where he eventually redeemed himself for God. You know, Samson was a slave to the wrong pleasures. And it destroyed the potential of his calling. But in a bit more detail of what we're, uh, you know, what were the mistakes of Samson leading up to his fall? That's what I want to talk about this morning. There are four things that we have to consider that were the fall of Samson. And I'm going to switch over, son, to the uh, pastor's mic. Amen. What, were the, what was the fall of Samson? There was four things that led to the fall of Samson. Number one is this. The Bible declares that he lacked a sense of divine destiny. Samson lacked a sense of divine destiny. He was careless and unappreciative of God's calling in his life. He was unappreciative of God's anointing upon his life. He was unappreciative of God's gift upon his life. You know, Lamentations chapter 1 talks about the body, the church. And you're going to see how. Because we, although we hear her or she, what really God is talking about is Jerusalem, the people, the bride. Look what it says in Lamentations 1.9. Her, Jerusalem's uncleanliness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. Oh Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. That is how many times we are as the church. We are unclean in our skirts, and we do not consider our destiny at times in God. We do not consider the plans that God has set before us. We do not consider the mighty things that the Lord has uh, entitled for us to accomplish in our lives. We take it lightly, the anointing. We take the gift of God lightly. We take the calling, the upward calling of the Lord lightly. We take our salvation lightly. And the Bible says, and because of it, our collapse is great. Our collapse is great. So what did Samson lack? Samson lacked a sense of divine destiny. People of God, do not lack a sense of divine destiny. Always be aware that God has a calling upon your life. The moment you feel weak, remind yourself. Become aware, become sensitive to the calling of God over your life. The moment the enemy tries to entice you, remind yourself. Become sensitive that there is a call of God of divine destiny upon your life. Samson did not consider his destiny. How many times do we go through things in our lives and we give up destiny for pleasure? I'll give you a good example of what this means. You know, when things are going bad, you don't sit through the storm. You just find the first exit you don't you pick pleasure over destiny. It's not just you know. Um, it's not just saying that you picked a beer over God's presence. Many times it is destiny has you in the middle of a storm. Destiny has you in the prayer of a uh, uh, garden of Gethsemane. De- at times uh, you know destiny has you in affliction. At times destiny has you in hardship. At times destiny has you in persecution. And many times we pick pleasure over destiny instead of staying in the in the garden of Gethsemane. Instead of saying out in the waters. And stay, instead of staying casted upon God's vision and God's presence, we pick comfort over God's destiny, over God's purpose. At many times we say, well, you know what, I need a job. So we find a job that takes away, uh, us away from God's presence or we find, you know, outlets you know, to fulfill the need of our lives and God is saying, no, I want you to stay there. There are times where I want you to stay in affliction. There are times where I want you to stay in tough uh, times and hardship in persecution so that you would know that this life is not all about pleasure and I'll prove it with God's word. Jesus took on the sins of the world, yet he did not choose the pleasure of his flesh. He withheld himself, took on the sin of the world. For you and I, you think it was pleasurable taking on our sin. You think it was pleasurable standing on the cross. You think it was pleasurable he was never smelling the roses. He was always putting in work for humanity. He was always paying the price for the world. Come on somebody, bless the name of the Lord. And at times we have to be aware of our divine destiny. Number two, he misused the divine gift. Number one, he lacked sense of divine destiny. Number two, he misused his divine gift from God. You know, he used this power recklessly for personal benefit. Samson used the power of God that was given to him for personal advantage. He used it to entice women. He used it to overpower and gain. Yes, he did use it at times to liberate the people of God, but he also used it for his own personal pursuits. Because he knew that God had given them this special power not available to others, he kept on getting himself in trouble and using the same power that God had given him in occasion to bail himself out. You know, this could have not been the purpose for which God endowed him with such power. God did not give him power to use it for his own benefit, but for the glory of his name. And how many times do we use the anointing to cheat? in this world how many times do we use our gift to entice in this world how many times do we use God's purpose for our lives to squeeze in areas that we are not supposed to be in and at times we get ourselves in trouble you know uh, You know. I, 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 I'll give you an example you know one time I got in trouble with the cops you know and before I'd given my life to them I got in trouble with the cops and I began to tell the cop about you know how I uh, uh, went to church and you know how I you know did this and did that and I'll tell you something You know, at many times we try to use the goodness of our life, the calling, the high elect of our calling, the gift of God over our lives to squeeze ourselves out of things that we make mistakes in. And you see, many times we use the gift of God, you know, for our own personal benefit, when in reality it's not to be bailing us out. It is to be bringing God glory for His name. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. And so we see how Samson misused his gift from God. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers, the five-fold ministry, but for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Look what the gift of God is for. It's not for yourself. It's not to get richer. Right? It's not to be on TV. You know, it's not to get the job that you want. It's actually to bring glory to the name of Christ. And God's gift in your life was meant to bless others. Not bless you first. Bless others first. Let me just emphasize on that again. The gift that God has given you wasn't meant to bless you first. It was meant to bless others. Because the gift of God is not uh, in a reverse mode. It is always outward. Amen. It is always pushing to others. And you know how you see the fruit of your blessing? By who you bless and how it returns back to you. You didn't understand what I'm saying. Because you're saying, you know, I'm blessing and I'm blessing and I'm blessing. And sometimes I got to bless myself. No, 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 no. You always stay blessing others. Why? Because as you're planting seed, God got your back. As you're releasing, God is releasing. And at times, God will use the people you release to to release right back to you. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. And so we see the blessing of God. You know, be used as blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 declares, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. He didn't say for the profit of oneself. He said, but the manifestation of the Spirit. How many have the manifestation of the Spirit in their life? That manifestation of the Spirit is given to each and every one of you for the profit of all. Of all. You know, I'll give to you, I'll count to you a, a small little testimony here that God has just used. You know, I met a, a man a couple years back, high profile, um, high profile man and uh, very wealthy. I mean, I'm, I'm talking this, this man makes maybe close to eight, nine million a year. Very wealthy. And upon talking to him down south, I was preaching and, and he came to... Uh, be touched by the ministry. And after the pastor introduced him to me and and he said, you know, Pastor, if you ever need anything when it comes to investments or 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 financial or you know, a loan or whatever the case, just just talk to me. Just give me a call. But just recently I'd been getting a bunch of no's for a certain step that we've been taking as a family. I gotta know there, I gotta know here. It wasn't turning out for us, it was difficult. We needed to take this step. This was the next step we believed God had for us financially. And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord brought back to memory the person that I had spoken to. I had blessed. I had been a part of in their life at one point. He brought back to memory and I got a hold of this person. I said, I need your help. I don't know how you can help me. Maybe you can see the situation that we're in and just kind of point us into the right direction. He said, don't worry about it, Pastor. Give me 24 hours. I'll make it work. And... Within 24 hours, as I was ministering here on one Wednesday here, I was ministering the worship. He texted me and he said, it's approved. Don't worry about it. I got it done. He said, you blessed my life so much a couple years back when I was in that service and things changed for me. And when it's the word, he said, when it's the word of God, it's the word of God. And you'll know it's the word of God when you don't know the person. And then all of a sudden God gives you a word through that person you don't know. And it's just it's just tying there. So, you know, I want to I want to just tell you, you didn't qualify, but I put a hard press uh, on it so that it would put you through. I put myself on the line to be able to make that qualify. And we got it done. And so you're approved. Everything's good. Let's move forward. Let me tell you something. At times we don't even know why God has us in our gift. But it ain't for us. And don't think that you're releasing and it's not going to come back. God knows always how to make it return back to your life. God always understands where He has you at, where the region, where the ground that He has you going through. And sooner or later, when you least expect it, you drop seed on the ground. And soon enough, bread shall return to you. Blessing shall return to you. But you got you to trust God that your gift is not for you first. It's for others first. It is for others. Come on, somebody say, I got the manifestation of the Spirit in me. And what is it for? It is given to you for the profit of all. Don't you stop blessing. God wants to bless you. But you don't stop being a blesser. You know, the New Living Translation says about 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, a spiritual gift is given to each and every one of us as a means of helping the entire church. What did Samson not uh, figure out? What did he neglect? Uh, Number three, the problem with Samson was that he was lustful. Samson had a problem with women. Obvious, right? You know, and all the women he lusted after were non-Israelites. He married a non-Israelite named Timnah. She betrayed him for his companion, his best friend. Supposedly, that's what the Bible says. Betrayed him for his best friend at the wedding. And then after, he slept with the prostitute Delilah, who finished him off by betraying him as well, when Samton counted her in awe Uh, And trust about his hair, the power of his hair. And she cut his hair, put the razor to his head and then called the Philistines on him as he slept. You know, she did all that. Lust destroyed him. And you know, it's not just a sexual lust. Anything you lust in the world will destroy you. Anything that you lust at in the world will destroy you. He was lustful. Number four, he was proud. You know, did you know that with the jawbone of a donkey, as I said, he slayed 1,000 Philistine men all by himself. And when it came down to the credit, at the end, he stood and didn't even give God the glory. You know, and then moments after, he got to a place where his strength could no longer help him. If you read the story, after he killed all of those Philistine men, he got to a place where his strength of God that God had given to him couldn't help him. He came to a place where there was no water. He had to finally call out, To God. The Bible says he cried out to the Lord to quench his thirst. You can say that Samson merely used God many times to just quench his thirst. And many times we are gifted, we are set apart. God has a plan over our lives, and all we use God for is to quench our thirst. To quench the thirst of our life, to quench the thirst of our home, to quench the thirst of our, uh, endures uh, of what we endure for. We don't. we, we just ask God to quench our thirst. But when it comes to giving them glory in the times we don't give them glory, we stand prideful and proud before a a great God. We forget about God when everything is good. But when we need Him, we call out for a quenching of our spirit. This is not the way God has called us to live if we're going to be successful in this life. If you are going to shake hell in your family, if you are going to shake earth for the kingdom of God, glory belongs to God. All glory belongs to the Most High. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He never realized, he never learned that true pleasure is found in God. But did not he also did not learn from his mistakes until all was stripped from him. This is what pride does especially gripped at the stronghold of wrong pleasures. Pride will take away your gift. Pride will destroy your anointing. What can we learn about wrong pleasures in the frame of Samson's life? Number one is this, write this down. Pleasure is wrong when the pleasure is harmful. Let me say it again. Pleasure is wrong when the pleasure is harmful. Sounds easy, right? Like, duh, let's go home now. But how many times do we participate in pleasures that are harmful? Or even more... Do we not take the time to evaluate the effects of our pleasures for ourselves and for others around us? You know, the question is is it harmful to yourself and to others? If so, it simply isn't within the spectrum of God's wholesome pleasures. Romans 13 13 through 14 declares, let us walk with decency. As in the daytime, and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires or gratify its pleasures. Although pleasure is what we seek to feel, you know, good, Eve saw that the fruit was good for the stomach but neglected that it would be harmful for herself and all of humanity. Now I'll tell you something, it might look good, It might sound good. It might even taste good. But if it is harmful, it is not a wholesome pleasure. It is not a wholesome pleasure. Is it toxic to your spiritual life? These are the things you need to ask. Is it toxic to your spiritual life? Is it toxic to the people that are around you? Many times we are numb and blind to the rippling effects of the now. Maybe it doesn't hurt now. But nothing is ever harmful in the beginning, but eventually it is killing. You know the analogy of the hunter killing the wolves for their coats. If you've ever heard this analogy, uh, the hunter gets the sharp knife, dips it in blood, puts them into the snow, into the ground, and sooner or later, because of the scent of blood, the wolf arrives. And as the knife is in the ground and it is full of blood and it is frozen blood on the knife, the wolf approaches the knife and begins to lick the knife and lick the knife and lick the knife knife until he figures out that the blood is never ending and he's licking away, licking away until he kills himself. Not knowing that that the reason why the blood never ended was because it was his own blood. The wrong pleasures always seem good in the beginning but in the end they are killing. Let me tell you something right now you might have your vitality but that does not give you a right you know to go against what is a wrong pleasure. You know maybe right now you might have a good job don't ruin it. Maybe you might right now you things are going good in your family don't put it on the line you know to sacrifice. Pleasures are good but there are wrong pleasures. And in the beginning, they feel good. And I'll tell you something, the devil will put it in any flavor that you want. Knowing that in the end, as much as you lick it, it always comes to your end. In the end, wrong pleasure is harmful. It's harmful. It's the wrong pleasure when it is harmful. Number two, it is the wrong pleasure when the pleasure is obsessive. This is a powerful word. Somebody say obsession. You got to be careful that your pleasures are not obsessive. What do I mean by pleasures in obsession? You know, when we seek for pleasure with that, no matter how I can or no matter what I got to do to get it attitude. You know, we go through great lengths to fulfill it. Even if that means harming others. You know, this is kind of sort of like the previous point I just spoke on. But where this one is different is in the sense that we know that it is wrong. And our resources and favor and gift begins to dry up. And no longer is it abundant in our lives, yet we still pursue them with such obsession. That we don't even care about what's morally right or even ethically correct. We don't care who we have to cross. We don't care who we have to run over. We don't care who we have to destroy to get what we want. When your pleasure is obsessive, it's wrong. You know, and to some extent, this statement is true, but a majority of back then robbers for an addiction would have never robbed a single mother. The majority of robbers back then wouldn't have robbed a child. You know, the majority of robbers back then wouldn't have robbed an elderly person for a habit. Now, they don't care if... You're walking with the cane. They don't care if you got three children with you. It's all game, and I'll tell you why. Not because they're getting more bold, but because sin is getting greater. And the addictions that are here and now today in this lifetime are much more. You know, I, I, I'll say this. We're just talking about a, a, a point of a decade. A decade. 2011. There was times where, you know, we were walking out here in 1990 as a boy, walking around here. We didn't see, you know, the craziness that we see now. Now they'll rob you for a dollar. They don't care. Back then they had fear of the church. Now they don't care. They'll break into the church and take whatever they can. They don't care if you're a widow. They don't care if you're, you know, a, 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 a single mother just plowing it you know, for, for your family and trying to make it work. They don't care. Sin has gotten to a point where it is, its face is already showing at its full potential and it does not care. And I'll tell you something, when pleasure is obsessive like this, where it does not care about the well-being of others to the point that you get what you need to get because you are obsessed with it, it's not of God. If you got to cheat to get it, if you got to lie to get it, if you got to steal to get it, if you got to cut corners to get it, it ain't of God. I just hope that I'm changing your route this morning because when you walk out of this door and you still got the mentality that you can cheat to get it, you can lie to get it, you can steal to get it, it ain't of God. It's not going to go well with you. That is a pleasure that you have as an obsession that is harmful. It is toxic. You know, Christ did not always find himself in desired pleasures. Yet he bore the weak and broken and I believe physically that did not please him. He took the sins of the world upon his shoulders and thought not of himself. You see, obsessive pleasures will not allow one to consider others. Never. Never. Obsessive pleasures only take you to think about yourself and you might say well you know uh, I can do it and you know still get away I still have respect for it but sooner or later sooner or later you turn into the monster you don't want to be to get what you need obsessive pleasure seeks only one's own happiness and you know what I say what a disease what a disease to live life so selfish that we do not consider others. Did you know that pleasures evermore are at the right hand of the Father? The right hand of the Father are pleasures evermore. You don't gotta cheat. Just let me speak the spirit of Gideon over your life. You don't need the 30,000. You just need to obey God with your 300. You don't need to shed no blood if you trust God. You don't need a lie if you trust God. You don't need to cheat if you trust God. And there are things that you want in your life that you're probably saying, I just don't have it right now in my hand. Don't you even think about cheating to get it. Don't you even think about lying to get it. Don't you even think about cutting corners to acquire that thing in your life. You hold on to your, uh-uh, you hold on to your ethic, you hold on to your morality, hold on to your character in Christ. You don't need to cut corners to have pleasures evermore in God. You can have all things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Again, Romans thirteen, thirteen and 14, it says, let us walk with decency, as in the daytime and not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In obsession of wrong pleasures, we cannot walk with decency, church. In the obsession of wrong pleasures, we can never walk in decency. In the lust of the flesh, we will always prefer to satisfy the flesh rather than suppress it. It's wrong pleasure, number three, when the pleasure is with the wrong crowd. You know, bad pleasures often process out of unwholesome associations. Did you know that? And we must be careful not to become more comfortable with worldly people than with believers. I can't truly preach from here—not uh, so, uh, enough. It's—it's it's just I can preach here the rest of the way. Because I believe many times we are guilty of not having a true understanding as to what is God's purpose with our lives, with people in our lives. We don't have a balance. A true divine balance between what our calling is and why people are in our lives. Sometimes we mistake in friendships for proj- uh, projects for friendships. And there are some people that are meant to be colleagues at the moment, but your spiritual project, you know, they're meant for you to impact, to touch, to be there for, to serve them. And the fact that we do not know how to yet balance our calling and people in our lives, we end up sooner or later indulging in diversions foreign to the Christian ethics with unbelieving people. Sooner or later, you'll end up picking up the beer if you don't understand God's purpose for your life. Sooner or later, you'll end up doing what the people around you are doing if you don't understand your purpose around them. Note that I didn't say that God does not allow you to be around them. But who He allows you to be around, you, they are to be impacted, not for them to impact. Let me say, let me say this again. Note that I said that it's who God has allowed to be around. Who God has allowed to be around in your life, not who God has allowed you to be around. God has allowed people to be around your life. We say, when you start thinking of God has allowed people to be around my life, then we start saying, it's not meant for them to impact me, but for me to impact them. You know, many times we get this misunderstood because we forget that God sent them to you. You didn't befriend them. God sent them to you for a purpose. Not so that you can befriend them and begin to indulge in the foreign activities of their unbelieving life. You know, what seems like a harmless association can destroy both ministry and minister. But as well, it can destroy the upright walk in a believer's life. Don't misinterpret, church. Understand, just as Jesus did, we should be friends to the sinner. We should be friends to the sinner, to the unbelieving, to those that don't hold the same values as we do. Not looking down on them, but knowing our purpose and all. Remembering we must be a friend to them, but desire to live an exemplary life among them. You are to be their friend, but God is saying, look, you got to live an exemplary life before them. It's okay to mingle, but are you lingering? And at times we reserve our warmest friendships and you know, shame on us as the people of God. Shame on us that we reserve our most warmest friendships and moments of recreation with non-Christian people. And honestly, at times they can destroy us. Why do we subject ourselves to struggling in the faith so much? Why do we, why do we risk it? It's interesting to me on why we like to risk our spiritual life. We like to be around more unbelieving people than believing people. Well, you know, they understand me better. Shame on you! I won't mention his name, but you know, there's a a man that just, you know, passed away. Rapper. Came to the Lord, you know, and, and began to show signs of... Wanting to serve God. Not just for a couple years. Years. We're talking about over a decade. That he had been displaying he wanted to serve God. Just recently died of an overdose. But you know what I think? I say to myself. His worldly friends. Never going to understand him. The unbelieving friends that he was surrounded with. Were never going to understand the urge that his spirit had for God. Don't you ever think at any moment that your unbelieving friends are going to understand why you need to pray, why you need to get in the word, why you need to congregate, why you need to fast, why you need to consecrate yourself. They will never understand that need in your life. That is why it is important to understand who has God sent to your life. Many times we seek for, to have more commonalities with the world. You will never have a common thing with the world. You will never have a common thing with the world. You will never have a common, you will never ever have a common thing with the world. Your spirit is always contrary to the flesh. Always. They're always contrary to each other. They are enemies that don't like each other. Quit trying to be a peacemaker. Well, you know, I'm going to chill a little bit. You know, No, you ain't called to be a peacemaker. You're called to be light. You're called to be salt. You know, love me, church, as I'm loving on you this morning. But I pray that as you begin to uh, uh, impact your life and put this into your life and, you know, begin to settle this truth and promise into your life, that you would begin to see the fruit of what it means to be a Nazarite for God, what it truly means to be impactful to your generation, what it truly means to be impactful in your neighborhood, what it truly means to be impactful for people in their lives. God's called you to impact. Don't get caught up with the wanting to satisfy the pleasures of the wrong crowd. And number four, it's the wrong pleasure when the pleasure is inconsiderate of God's presence. You know, I want to finish by, by counting this story. You remember the life of Joseph and Potiphar's wife when she tried to seduce him to sleep with her? But Look at this. It says... Genesis 39, 6 through nine three four verses. It says, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. Who? Potiphar. Right? He left all the authority in Joseph's hands. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Look at the privilege that Joseph had from Potiphar. He gave him all the keys to the kingdom. But Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. And Joseph refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. Look at this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now look at this. Joseph teaches us here that we must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Look at the connection that Joseph makes here. How could he do, which he calls wicked, to lay with Potiphar's wife, this against God? Understand this. He connected the action... To the standard. Let me say it again. Joseph connected the action to the standard. And it is wrong pleasure when your action of pleasure is not considerate of God's presence. When you want to decide on doing something without considering God's standard. And Joseph was saying, how can I lay with you And do this against God, sin against God. He said, how can I do this action with that standard in my life? This revelation, because I pray that you begin to think of it this way as well. You cannot do what you can and not consider God's presence. It is important. It is inevitable that we need to consider God's presence in all that we do in our life. The problem, now check this out. The problem is not simply that people are sinning more and obeying less. The problem is rather that a growing number of people in the world as well as in the Christian circles refuse to consider many types of behaviors as an actual sin. More and more people in churches insist on approving certain activities and attitudes though they are clearly identified as sin in scripture. We must make the connection and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, understand this. I don't care how you label your pleasure. If we can enjoy them, if we can't enjoy them, and at the same time enjoy God's presence, it's not a pleasure you should be dipping into. Now, don't just say, I enjoyed it, and then I get out of it to enjoy God's presence. That's a whole different story, because how many people enjoy the sin and then step out of it to go into a presence of holiness? My question is this, you got to start saying, can I do this and the presence of God at the same time? Can I do both? If we can enjoy them and at the same time enjoy the presence of God, we risk being unprepared to enter the fullness of His joy when He appears and we depart for the next world. Samson did not make the connection. Samson did what he wanted. And was not considerate of God's presence. Ephesians 4.30 says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know in this case. The word grieve is used as a verb meaning to cause to feel grief or sorrow. In other words the scripture is exhorting me not to cause the Holy Spirit. To feel grief or sorrow as a result of my choices. I grieve the Holy Spirit by not allowing myself to be led by Him. By choosing my own way instead, I grieve the Holy Spirit by not obeying Him. So how do we define good, godly pleasure that bears fruit, honoring to God? By four things. And I finish here. You'll know it is a good, good, wholesome pleasure of God when it is pure before God's eyes. Number one. Number two. You'll know that it is good godly pleasure when they are not essential for enjoyment. In other words, when you don't need it to feel enjoyment in your life. Because Christ is enough to you. Amen. Number three. You'll know that it is good pleasure when the pleasures you are seeking are driven by God's love. That's powerful there. Because you remember that verse he says... As you love yourself, love others. You know that verse? So love others as you love yourself. Well, 1 John talks about how we ought to love others like the way God loved us. So that means that everything we do has to display God's love for us. What resonates from our life, the actions that you make, the decisions that you take has to resonate God's love for you. Because everything you do displays the God that loves you. Number four, you'll know that it's good pleasure when it complements and does not conflict your sober responsibilities. Again, it's good pleasure when it complements and does not conflict your sober responsibilities. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning. Such a word this morning that God has spoken to us And I say that there is nothing like the presence of God. There is nothing like the presence of God. Nothing like the presence of God. He is my pleasure. How many love having things in their life? Just raise your hand if you love having stuff in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's got everything. Because if God puts you through a season where you don't have it. Is he your pleasure still? Is he the main thing in your life? This morning let us worship him right now. just I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the situation is. But one thing is this. I know that God has just spoken a word to align us. To how His pleasure are for us. You might be saying, Pastor, right now in my life, things aren't going good. But in His presence are pleasures forevermore. Things might not be going your way. But in His presence are pleasures forevermore. I want you to do something right now that you're in His presence. Begin to feel the pleasure of His presence right now. As our worship team sings a song for us. I want to do something. Our altars are open. Quickly, I want our altar ministry team just quickly come, quickly come. And, And if you feel like you need to come to this altar, you come do so quickly, quickly, quickly. Come on, just raise up your hand with me and just worship Him. Just worship Him, worship Him right now. Just worship Him, worship
1: Him.
0: Come on, say the Lord bless you. The Lord
1: fechar We say I'm May his favor
0: be upon you and the thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going.
1: He is with you, 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 he is with you. He is with you. Come on, say amen. And I-
0: there's his presence oh Father we thank you we thank you God we thank you Lord God at your right hand our pleasures forevermore Father at your right hand our pleasures forevermore
1: our pleasures forevermore Amen Amen Thanks, amen, 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 and now, come on, keep singing it to the Lord. presence. In His
0: presence there are pleasures forevermore. Through the season of dissatisfaction, through a season of heavy burden, through a season of paying a price when times are difficult as if nothing is turning out in your favor. But at His presence there is pleasures forevermore even though you feel like life hasn't been turning out for you, beloved. In His presence, there are pleasures. It's the reason you haven't gone back. It's the reason why you haven't gone back. Why haven't you turned back? Why you're still standing? Because of God's faithfulness. Because of God's grace. Because of God's love. Because of God's mercy. All right, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Your best is, best is yet to come. The 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 best is yet to come. For your life. For your ministry. For the calling of God on your life. The best is yet to come. For there are pleasures reserved for you. Come on, church. There are pleasures reserved for you this morning. There are pleasures reserved for you this morning. There's the pleasures, the pleasure of God. Those pleasures are reserved for you. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Can we say it? Amen. I won't go back Can't go back To the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed me Say I won't go back I won't go back Can't go back To the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed me Come on, say it, I won't go back I can't go back back to the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed me Say, I won't go back I won't go back Can't go back to the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed
2: me One more time
1: I won't go back Go back to the way it used to be before your presence came and me
2: In this moment go back, keep singing. Go back to Look at that situation that be where God is taking you out right now. There's something that God just talk, spoke to you through this message. Told, and is telling you,
1: "I don't want you there again." If, if it's something that you're you're
2: uh, mingling with a
1: friend,
2: or whatever it is, they're, they're calling you. The Lord is telling you, "Get away from that! Get away from that!" Come on, say it right now.
1: I won't go back can go back, back to, to the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed Say it me. out, say it out come on I won't, won't go, go back, back can go back yes. to the way it used to be Before your presence came and changed me Let's pray
2: right now Father, we thank you this morning, God For your word, God you brought a transformation, God, in our lives, God. And this morning, God, we thank you once again, Lord, that you were to take us home, God. Take us to the destination we need to go, God. Bless us, God. Bless others that, that will see us, God. With your presence, God. Let your travel mercy go with us, God. Bless my brothers and sisters this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the people of God say, yeah,